Heavenly Father, would you please uh, feed us this morning, feed our hungry souls, um, quench them with your, your words. Um, may they um, encourage us, inspire us, and shape us to be more like your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, welcome, and uh, I just want to say welcome to uh, our friends who are streaming this morning out there in the World Wide Web. Um, I actually, I, I pulled up on my phone. For those of you who don't know, we stream the 930 service I have on my phone, actually, like the stream right here. So right now I'm kind of like streaming the stream up on these cameras here. And uh, yeah, so I want to say hi. I think I, uh, one of our friends is watching in, in Florida. Um, a friend there, uh, Pastor Errol, is actually, I think, streaming right now from his, his vehicle. Um, which is not a good idea. That's, that's kind of a bad idea, I would say. Uh, to, to, I can't say that I've, I've never done it on like a long road trip either, I, I confess. Uh, but it's, it's a, a bad idea. And you guys have, have experienced that before. The, the stuff that, that you've done maybe where you're like, I'm not sure if this is going to be a great idea. Honestly, every youth pastor, the, the, those moments before you take 75 junior high students to a lock-in, you know, out in Bourbon A, you're kind of like, ah... This is a bad idea, not because, not because, you know, it's bad to hang out with junior high students and, and kind of build those relationships and you build those memories, but it's a bad idea because it does stuff to you. It changes you. It changes your, your, your body. You, you probably lose a, a month of your life, at, you know, at, at Tacton. Like, and that's what happened to me last, last weekend. Uh, that's a team. That's my team right there. Uh, part of my team. Awesome, awesome crew. And we braved the storm and, and hung out and had a, had a great, great night. Um, it's kind of blurry because that's probably how you would have seen us had you stayed up all night with us. Like your eyes would have been glazed over. Like what just happened to me? I have no idea. Um, for you students, it's that moment where you, you realize, like, why did I put this paper off until the last minute? Because you needed some you know, pressure to perform well, to write this paper well. And at 1 a.m., you're like, finally... I should reward myself. I should go and get a chalupa from Taco Bell. You know, it's like, no, that's a bad idea. Because that's going to do something to you tomorrow morning that you're going to regret. Okay? And this, that actually is a true story that happened to me this past week on Tuesday night. Um, I'm in seminary taking some classes. And uh, my wife was sitting in the back last night. And she was nodding her head like, what? Why did you do that? What did you do? But it's, it's so good at the moment. And honestly, when I was preparing to teach this message on the second coming, the return of Christ, I had this same feeling. A couple of weeks ago, I'm like, man, this could go a lot of different ways. Because, you know, in, in Christianity, in the church, we're so, uh, I don't want to say divided. We just have a lot of different opinions and thoughts as to how this will all play out. We have this end times obsession, okay, with, uh, you know, book series and blood red moons and, and things. And I thought, man, what? And I, I grew up in that, with that kind of environment. I, I grew up in a, a, in a, a church where uh, I remember at one point we had this huge chart like on the back wall and, and we went through probably a, you know, 54 week series or something on every little piece. And, and here's what's next and the rapture and the tribulation and all the seals and trumpets and and, and all this stuff in the millennium, 144,000. And, and it was, it was I, I was just kind of confused. And, and I think that a lot of believers are today, um, you know, who, who are like, 
really, do we need another Left Behind movie? Did Kirk Cameron not nail it the first time and you had to bring back Nick Cage and have him do it right this time or something? You know, because we get so obsessed and so focused on like this end times theology. And I just have to say, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Not everything, just because something references the Bible doesn't mean it's biblical, okay? So, so keep that in mind as there are a lot of... Um, movements that have been happening. And, and honestly, the church, I, I feel, hasn't been its best when um, a lot of our theology has been become kind of an escapist theology, like we're just waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us from this wicked place to take us somewhere else. Because I think that picture in Scripture creates a, a bigger picture than that. And oftentimes, we can get so obsessed um, and, but that's what end times obsession, that extreme, f- gives us. It gives us an escapist theology. That really, the, the next thing to happen is, is that Jesus is, is going to come back and, and, and it creates a gospel of, of fear and anxiety, right? Like, hey, you know, anytime you can be snatched from your you know, vehicle or your bed and your clothes are going to lay there and, and you know, you're going to be up, in the, up somewhere in the sky, which he's going he's to take you away. So you need to accept him now so that you're not left behind, okay? And here's what Jesus said. He said, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. But on the other side, you kind of have an end times denial. You have people who just, who just say, yeah, it's confusing, I don't know what's going to happen, so I've, I've done my due diligence, I believe Jesus, you know, someone, someone told me he died for my sins, and so, okay, yeah, I think that's true, so I guess I'm saved, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And, and I don't have to worry about all that stuff. I don't have to live with the end times in mind, and what happens is that creates an absent theology. Like, what do you even believe? What, how is that even, uh, what is that saying about the life that you live now? Does that have, bear any meaning on that? And, and I want to say that both of these extremes are a bad idea, right? Like that chalupa at one in the morning that you know you're going to regret later. It's like, if we live with those extremes, we're going to reach moments in our life where we're saying, what am I, what am I doing? What am I doing? What does my life look like? What does the gospel have to say about the, the kind of life that I'm living? Is that inviting others into God's, you know, the, the big picture of God's story? And neither of them are sufficient or provide a sufficient basis for living the Christian life. Either you're going to be kind of way in left field and people are going to think you're weird, right? And not for the right reasons, not weird because like, yeah, I think I'm weird because, no, you're weird because, you know, some of that stuff is, is weird. It's weird. Or, or they're going to say like, I don't want to be part of that. You know, like you, it doesn't seem to be changing your life. You're just... You're living a gospel of narcissism, like Jesus saved you so that you can kind of do whatever you want and then die and go to heaven someday. So what, what, what's the answer? And I think the answer is not to live with a gospel of fear or a gospel of just narcissism. The answer is found, I think, in three words. Three words that will radically shape and, and, and give, give shape to the direction of your life. Three words that if you kind of hold on to, You'll wake up each morning living with passion and fire and this vision for what your life could be. And I made a, a space in your, in your notes for these three words because honestly, this is what I want you to walk out with. 
you know, we kind of focus sometimes as, as, as preachers, teachers, uh, on like a lot of different points, and, and, and we're, we're honest with ourselves, okay? We know that not everybody's going to walk out with all, all of our five points or six points or remember everything by the time you get to the car. But if there's one thing I do want you to remember, one phrase that will, <clears throat> ah, excuse me, hopefully bring you back to, to where we land today, it is these three words, live with hope. Live with hope. Live with hope. We'll get back to what that hope is and what that hope looks like in just a second. But right now, I do want to look at <clears throat> our, uh, our rooted doctrinal statement. So we've been going through... <clears throat> water. Can someone give me water? That'd be great. Um, we've been going through uh, our, uh, a series, this is week 12, of these articles of faith that um, shape us, that define us. I love that intro video. I think it nails it perfectly um, on these beliefs kind of shape who we are, who, we, who we're becoming, and they, they matter. And so here's what we have, uh, kind of where we've landed on as far as the second coming, the return of Christ. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will return personally, visibly, and unexpectedly, okay? That there's just going to be this personal return. It's going to be him. It's going to be him in bodily form. When you see Jesus post-resurrection in the Gospels, he's a very physical form. You're able to touch his, his nail scars. Um, he's actually eating food and like cooking breakfast for his disciples. Um, that is, uh, that's pretty significant, I think. He has, a, he has like a physical uh, a body, a physical form. And uh, um, next, it's, it's going to be visible. Thank you so much. Um, you're, you're gonna be, we're going to be able to see him. You know, we're going to be, we're going to know. It's like, okay, hey, yeah, that's, that's Jesus. We're just, we're going to know. We're going to know. He's going to speak and we're going to be like, I know that voice. Maybe I've never really like heard it, heard it, but we're going to recognize him and it'll be unexpected. We have no idea when it's going to happen. The dead will be raised. That, that was the hope of the early church in, in the resurrection. Okay, not just a, hey, Jesus is going to come back and snatch me up and take me somewhere else um, in the outer space or some you know, disembodied soul into heaven, but that, that we're going to actually have resurrected bodies and that Christ will judge all people in righteousness. And we need that. We need justice brought into this world because our world is, is broken. And that's a good thing. The coming of Christ our blessed hope demands constant expectancy and motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. So what I want to do for the next few moments is kind of just answer the question, okay, what is it that happens when he returns that I want to focus my attention on? And again, I'm not going to get into, you know, is it premillennialism or postmillennialism or dispensationalism, rapturism? You know, any of that stuff, because honestly, there's spent a lot of time on that. And it would probably be very unfruitful for a, a setting like this, this morning to kind of go into detail on those things. And I encourage you, you know, if you have questions, lots of great stuff. I'm going to point to some good resources um, uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but I want to focus on what's going to happen when he returns. And it brings us to Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself 
will be with them and be their God. That's so beautiful. And actually, if you look back in Genesis and you see God's promise to Abraham, it's almost word for word. Some of that stuff that it says right there. Because God comes to him and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You know, I'm gonna, you're, you're, you're going to be a blessing to all peoples. And I'm, I'm going to be with them. I will be their, their people. I will dwell with them. And I will be their God. And you guys, you see that the scriptures are telling this beautiful story that has an end in mind. That has this beautiful end. This promise that God made so very early on is now coming true. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And I just want us to to kind of just sit there for a second and, and think about that. Because honestly, if you have hope, if you're a believer, our hope is, is, is this. It's this restoration, this new creation that God is bringing. The resurrection. This is what it looks like when heaven comes down. When heaven and earth collide and God comes back and makes everything new. This is the picture that we see. We've got to live with this end in mind. We've got to orient our thoughts and our hope toward that truth. Before we go further on, on, on that, I want to go back to the first coming. The first coming when Jesus came, he had a message that he brought. And a lot of people had different expectations of who the Messiah would be and what he would do and what his focus would be. And a lot of it had to do with the political situation. They wanted to be rescued from Rome and they wanted to you know, be rescued from this evil empire and, and, and put Israel back to where its rightful place and the king would come. And, and so, um, but when Jesus came, he had a message, kind of an agenda. And his, the core of his message wasn't love your neighbor. The core of his message wasn't forgive each other. The core of his message wasn't, um, you know, what to do with your money or, you know, you need to sell your possessions That was all part of it, but the core of his message was what? Repent for the kingdom of God is near. It's here. And he demonstrated that. We we, we saw that. And and actually it goes back, Brittany had mentioned it. Um, Jesus quoted Isaiah, right? Because he saw himself as the fulfillment of what Isaiah was prophesying. And in Isaiah, you look through um, the book of Isaiah... Isaiah talks about this, this kingdom that's coming, the, the reign of God, um, God ruling, and um, there are seven kind of big themes that you see through the, the book of Isaiah, that um, through different chapters where he's talking about the reign of God. You see justice, deliverance, presence, peace, joy, healing, return from exile, and Jesus believed that he was embodying these, these things that, that God was bringing. So when he said, you know, the kingdom is coming, he, he demonstrated that. He announced this. And it was so exciting because you got Jesus healing people who are blind, you know, healing the cripple, uh, feeding the 5,000, letting people know that the marginalized, the, the, the poor, he was serving them. He had compassion for them. And he was teaching with authority. And, and it was so exciting and everyone was pumped and his disciples were just like yes this is it and then he dies right and it's like for just a few moments it feels like hope is dashed 
And there's, 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 it's like, well, I guess he was just another Messiah who kind of came and claimed to be Messiah and then, and then died. And they're freaked out and scared. But then resurrection happens. And then it's like, of course, okay, in order for the kingdom of God and the power of God to, to, to come in full force, we, you, you've got to conquer death. And it's like the, there's no one else who's done it. There's no one else who's, who's actually, you know, died and by their own power, Jesus raised, you know, raised people from the dead, and, but by their own power raised themselves from the dead. He did that because he had the, the power and the spirit of God. And the disciples were curious, hey, is this the time? Is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? They gathered around him and asked him, this is in Acts 1, Lord, are you going to re- restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said, again, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand, before, stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. You see, this was the hope that the early church had. This hope that Jesus was going to appear again, that he was going to return again, and that he was going to do something incredible. This hope shaped them, and it drove them toward, toward living holy lives, living, you know, living godly lives. Um, there are uh, two, uh, two quotes I want to bring up. There's a book called Surprised by Hope uh, by a guy named N.T. Wright, um, just an incredibly uh, great, great scholar, theologian, historian, pastor, um, definitely takes big, you know, theological concepts and, and, and brings them to a level of, of that, that I can understand them. And I think that a lot of like lay, you know, lay people can, can understand. Um, uh, incredibly uh, perspective changing book for me, but one of the things he says in this book um, regarding, uh, you know, Jesus and the meaning of his resurrection and what's to come, he says our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. So our life is a sign that we have been redeemed, that Jesus actually has come and he's redeemed us and, and he is working and sanctifying us, okay? But it's also a foretaste of what's to come. So the things that we practice, the, 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 the truths that we live out, are sort of this, it's, it's a foretaste. We get a picture, uh, uh, people start to see like, oh, this is what God is, is going to do. And more on that in a second. Um, the other book is a book called Theology for the Community of God by a guy named Stanley Grenz. Excellent book, um, kind of dealing with systematic theology. Uh, and in his uh, section on, on the return of Christ, he says, on the basis of our confession of faith in Christ as the returning Lord, our task is to set forth an understanding of history as meaningful in an era devoid of meaning. History has a significance, we declare as believers, because it is rushing ever onward toward the culmination of God's work in the world. And there's an end point on the horizon for which that we are longing for and looking for, and, and, and we, we, we confess that, we declare that to a world that 
is lacking meaning and purpose. You guys, it's, it's one of the things that I struggle with, you know, as I'm talking with people. Oh, well, not struggle, but like, I'm more questioned. I come talking with someone who maybe doesn't believe in God or stepped away from him or is an atheist or agnostic or whatever. It's like, okay, where do you get any meaning or significance from outside of yourself? You know, how, how does that come into play? Because honestly, we've all been there, right? We've all li- done stuff or have been made to do stuff where you're like, I don't, what, what's the purpose in this? What am I doing? And, and how discouraging and frustrating that is where you feel like you lack a sense of purpose or significance or direction. Guys, there's people who wake up every morning who have that fear, who are like, what the heck is going on? I have no idea. I'm just stuck, stuck. And, and the message and story of Christ and what God is doing in the world is exactly what this world needs. It's exactly what it needs. And we as a church have to keep that in mind as we embody the truth of Scripture. Uh, one other book I want to reference is uh, First Peter uh, by a guy named Peter. Um, definitely recommend reading his work. Excellent, excellent work in, back in the day. Uh, but... Uh, Ah, thanks. The Saturday service didn't really laugh at that. Um, <laughs> he says this. I love his opening statements. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And then a couple verses later, he kind of sums that up. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on the grace that is being brought to you when Jesus Christ returns. And again, I would argue that the hope is not that Jesus would come back and sort of take us from here. Jesus, Jesus wants to restore the kingdom and the reign and rule of God to its rightful place. It's already happened in one sense with a resurrection. He's shown that, that he can do it. But then there's this not yet sort of anticipation of what is to come. Okay, so what does a hope-shaped life look like? And, and I'm going to kind of look at four different things. Three of them are, you'll see at the end of uh, Surprised by Hope, that the book... Um, I referenced earlier, it talks about these being key themes right, right now, I think, within the church. And I, I added um, another one that I had, I'd heard in, in another context that, that I think is important. But, but listen to me, this is not, you know, this is, this is not, this is participating in the kingdom to come. And I believe that as we practice these things, as we live out our lives, we're actually, in, in one sense, we're participating in a future that has one sense happened, but it has not yet happened, okay? And so as we, as we look toward the end, as we look toward what Christ is going to do and is doing, we participate in these things, okay? So four things, these are the ones that are in your notes, um, how to live with hope. One is to embrace evangelism. Embrace evangelism by consistently extending the invitation to God's story, Right? And this is, when I say embrace evangelism, I'm not just saying, uh, you know, like the Romans, you know, to tell the, know the Romans road and, and know how to like, you know, say the gospel in, in five, five minutes. I, I think it's bigger um, than, I'm, I've nothing against that, but I think sometimes uh, our, our like presentation of the gospel can be a little bit too one-dimensional, too flat. Um, 
And that, the, that we got to get back to the bigger story of a God who created a world that he said was very good. And that got messed up real quick with, with sin. That's one of my favorite places to start. Because anyone, you can, you can get common ground with anyone when you say, hey, isn't the world jacked up? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> look at, I mean, look at Paris last weekend. I mean, we, we, we see, we, can, we, we build that conversation around, yeah, this is a messed up place. Have you ever wondered Why? Why? And invite people into the, 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 to entertain the thought and maybe think that perhaps, you know, this is not how the world is meant to be. That perhaps there was a God who created everything good and, and, and in his providence gave, you know, free choice that, that sin entered into the world through Adam and um, through, the, through, through the temptation and the enemy and all this. And, and to say, there's, there's an explanation of why things are jacked up. But guess what? There's an end of the story. There's a place where it's heading. It's inviting um, people into God's big story um, in creation, fall, redemption, and then new creation. Do people look at your life and say, man, that guy, that girl, he's living like something's going to happen. Maybe next week or maybe tomorrow, maybe tonight, maybe 100 years from now. But he's living with some sort of hope. And you say, yeah, this is the story that I'm living in. God's doing something incredible in the world. And he's going to bring it to completion. And I feel most alive when my life is living in line with that. The second thing I would say um, is to uh, create beauty. Create beauty in a way that reflects the coming new creation. And creation is not just about the arts, although I, I think that it, it includes that, about you know being artsy or musical or, um, or what have you, because some of you are like, hey, I'm not super creative, but I think creating beauty also comes through our vocation as well. And I think that it's so important for us to redeem the concept of work, because some of you, it's like, man, you're like, it's the J-O-B, you know, three-letter word uh, that is bad, it's, the, it's a daily grind, and I, I'm just going to sort of get in there, and I hate my boss, and I, I'm just going to check out. You guys, uh, work, the idea of work was pre-fall. I mean, God gave Adam uh, meaningful work in the garden to do. And though, you know, there's, there's the messed up ramifications of sin, like the things that, that you guys are involved in throughout the week, your work is one of the, the biggest places where you can create, you know, beautiful, beautiful things. Whether you're working as a construction worker, whether you're working as a janitor, whether you're flipping burgers, whether, you, um, whether you're a, a cook, whether you're an office worker, you know, creating a, an organized system of files. You may look at that and say, oh man, this is like, this is so, so late. No, we got to come back and say, all right, how can I, how can I, how can I create beauty in this? How can this be redeemed? You know, if you're selling cell phones, you're, you're like, okay, I want to, uh, you want to, you want to connect with your family and, and friends here. I'm going to help you get the best plan, you know, to do that. And, and, and in a way, look to the people that you're, you're serving and have your work reflect the beauty um, that God is, is, is creating. Um, create beauty and art in a way that reflects the coming new creation. Uh, the third thing is to love justice. To love justice. Um, loving justice by taking a stand with those who have been treated unjustly. Um, Wright, Wright talks about justice in his book. Um, the, he says, The intention of God, justice is the intention of God expressed from Genesis to Revelation, 
to set the whole world right. A plan that is gloriously fulfilled in Jesus Christ, supremely in the resurrection that followed his victory over the power of evil and death on the cross. And now to be implemented in the world. Okay, and we can't just, just look at the world and say, ah, oh, it's just a mess. I can't do anything with that. You know, we can't just give up. And justice is not, you know, guilting people into it, um, but it is invite, inviting people into participation. It's not just a social media post, although it does involve sharing about it. It's not just creating a, you know, recurring charge in your bank account so you're given to some organization, although money is helpful, obviously, you know, as we serve the poor and serve, serve the world. Justice. We join God in helping reflect the just world that he is creating. And I love that, that a lot of you, have, you've been to other places. You've been to like Haiti, and you've held it, you know, an orphan in your arms, or you've held the hand of a widow, or, 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 or tried to meet someone's needs, and you didn't walk away from that situation or experience and say, ah, it's too messed up. Might as well give up. Can't do anything about it. You said, no. You said, no, there's, there's something not right about that situation, and we've got to do something about it. Especially as us American Christians, you know, who have the resources to, to serve the poor, to serve the world. I love that we can, you know, walk out in the atrium, there's going to be Christmas trees, or maybe there is, where we can, um, where we can kind of speak a word of love into, to a child, you know, kids for Christmas um, that we're doing. I love that some of you have adopted kids or are doing foster care, and, and, and it's hard. I have friends, it's hard, you guys. But you know what? They have a bigger vision for justice and to say that every kid should have a, a healthy, loving family environment. I love that. I love that. Is it hard? Yes. But we got to support each other on that. We got to encourage each other. And we got to live with that end in mind. Like, we want people to see the just world that God is creating. All right. Enough for I'm going to start bawling my eyes out. Okay. Um, it's good. It's good to get a good cry in. Because um, it is. This is powerful stuff. I promise you guys. As I was working on this this week, I, I had moments where I'm like, I'm listening to worship music and I'm preparing and I'm praying. I'm like, God, this is so beautiful. I want people to get a good picture of what you're doing. And the, the fourth thing is to pursue reconciliation and relationships with our families and our, and our tribes. Um, kind of, when I say tribes, I, I'm thinking of, you know, people groups that we are with, communities, whatever. And some, for some of you, you know, you're coming to the holidays and, and you're thinking of the people that you're going to be seeing that you see once a year and you're like, thank you, Lord, that I only have to see them once a year because you can't get along with them. Um, you have peop- we have people in our lives that we have anger and, 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 and bitterness toward that we just, we've got to pursue reconciliation. We've got to forgive because it reflects the reconciliation that God has brought to us and is bringing to us in the new creation when Jesus returns. It's how we live with hope. We show that picture, and one of the most beautiful pictures right now that, that, that I, I've, I've heard of in recent weeks um, in the world that is happening is in Rwanda. Um, back in 1994, there was a, um, a, a mass genocide that took place. Over 800,000 people died in this mass genocide. Um, one tribe tried to ex- basically exterminate the other tribe. And um, this, is, uh, this is a picture of a girl named Alice. Um, actually, well, both of them lived through this um, uh, this incredibly painful ordeal. But Alice is on the right, and uh, um, I was reading this about her. She, it says she closed her eyes. Um, this is kind of her story. She closed her eyes as 
a man chopped off her right hand. You can see she's missing her right hand up there. Um, he swung the machete again, this time at her face. Uh, a spear was driven through her shoulder, and Alice told, her, told herself, hey, it was, it's for the best. Everyone I love is gone, and it's time to join them. But God must have had different plans for her. Carried from the massacre seen by other survivors, she regained consciousness three days later. As a Christian, Alice prayed and prayed. Why, God, didn't you take me? Why didn't you take me? And kind of after all that time, 20 years later, I, I believe this was in, this picture is, I think, 2014. Um, it involves her, her abuser, her captor. It involves the, the guy who chopped off her hand. And the painful, still incomplete healing of her heart. It means forgiving the unforgivable because that was the only way forward. I prayed for God to show me the person who cut me so that I could stop judging everyone, living with bitterness and anger. And God actually did. The guy, he came to, he came to me. His name is Emmanuel. And he confessed and asked me to forgive him. And I knew I, I had to. If I refused, then when he was genuinely repenting, it would have been a sin because you can't carry sin through life and face God with it. The man on the left is Emmanuel. I mean, that's the guy. That's, that was her enemy. And, and Rwanda is not a big country. I don't think it's any bigger than like Maryland. And, and, and after all these years now, it's like they, can't, they couldn't just lock everybody. Yeah, there's too many people who had committed these atrocities. And they're going back into, into, into these communities and they have to be, they, they just have to live together. They have to find a way to live together. I'm thankful for like a, uh, uh, an organization like World Vision who actually was a part of this story, who went in and really helped people to, to reconcile. And this is just one story. I mean, think about that. You know, the, 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 when she, uh, how, how much does it take? But guys, she's living a bigger story. She's living with the hope that God has, has actually you know, done something that she can participate in, this reconciliation, this forgiveness. That's powerful. And you guys, that's the hope that we need to, to live. I'm going to invite the band up as I make a few closing remarks here. But um, guys, some of us are living a, a, a bad story. Um, the story that God tells, creation, fall, redemption, new creation... Some of us, we kind of take that end off and we say, okay, creation, fall, redemption, I get saved by Jesus because he died for me on the cross, fill in the blank, I can do whatever I want. Creation, fall, redemption, retirement, or creation, fall, redemption, uh, you know, a good family, creation, fall, redemption, a great career, successful life, that God is some sort of means to another end, but he's not. not, that's not what God invites us to. Because he knows that what he has to offer is so much bigger and so much better than what we have. And that what we have and what we do and how we live is to, ref- to reflect the hope in between now and the coming of Christ. That we would live with hope. That we would be people driven by hope. Living what God has called us to. Because he is going to return. Darkness will be swallowed up in light. Everything that is, is bad will be made new. God will set the world to rights. So let's reflect that in our lives. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Let us be people who live with the light of your hope. 
as you redeem and restore our brokenness. God, may our lives uh, invite people into that story to show them how good you are, to show what you're creating and making. We don't, we don't build it for you, God. It's not that we, we work toward that ourselves, but we do it because you've redeemed us and we want to show everyone how amazing you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.